Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Can your family finances survive the cost of dementia? We look into the difficulties of managing money when a loved one becomes unwell. When it comes to your own finances, are you an ostrich or an engineer? Our wealth man columnist Jason Butler is here to ruffle your feathers. And the people who've lost fortunes via binary trading. We look into why regulators are concerned about this high-risk form of investing. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast on personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, and I'll be giving you this week's news in downloadable form. Our cover feature last week about the financial repercussions of a dementia diagnosis prompted a huge amount of comments from readers who were struggling to provide both care for relatives and manage their money at the same time. Joining me in the FT studio are Hugo Greenhouse, the FT's wealth correspondent, and author of the article, and Andrew Dixon-Smith, Director of Elder Care Solutions, the independent care fee planning specialist. Welcome both. Starting with Andrew, what are the first steps to take should you or a relative or a friend receive a diagnosis of dementia? The diagnosis of dementia sometimes happens uh, unbeknownly uh, following sort of deterioration and recognition of the symptoms. Um, so people are somewhat ill-prepared as to what the next stage should be in terms of should they receive care in their own home? Is that going to be supported by a relative or do they need to uh, obtain professional help in terms of carers coming in to the home? Or is it something that is more serious uh, because dementia doesn't get better, it deteriorates, uh, would be safer and better delivered in a care home setting? Uh, where there are you know, specialist care provision for people with dementia. And you must recognise that there's over 20 forms of dementia. So there's no, it's not black and white and you know, everybody will be at different stages and have different levels of dementia. And then when it comes to working out how much all of this is going to cost, um, one statistic in the piece that a good care home can cost up to £2,500 per week mm. was particularly worrying um, for, for readers reading the piece, but that's not the only financial hurdle you'll face. No, uh, the cost of uh, the care is, is substantial, and if we strip things back, um, the piece was really referring to the fact that the average cost of care is becoming a thousand plus per week and that most care homes will whether you've got dementia or nursing care need assess people for the level of care they need and charge accordingly 
people with dementia, uh, if they're in a special area, they can go into a care home if their dementia is quite minimal and possibly not pay significant amount of money. So they're paying what they would call an assisted living sort of rate. But where that deteriorates and, you know, as time goes on, a higher level of care is required, then we could be looking at the sort of figures that you mentioned as perhaps the end of the, you know, the highest end of the scale. So there is a bit of a sliding scale according to the amount of care that is required. But it can be distinguished from nursing care needs, particularly when it comes to support and how that support financially is given And turning to Hugo, the huge number of FT reader comments on the article shows how many readers are struggling to cope, not just with the costs, but with the administrative burden of organising the finances of a person with dementia. Yes, I think we really, uh, really touched a nerve with the piece in terms of the responses kind of split into two, a mixture of terror and horror. Terror at what to do when you receive a diagnosis of dementia, but also the horror at the costs involved. But I think a lot of people were kind of worried more about the process of going through the application for a lasting power of attorney, what to do with it, what the responsibilities are. Let me just read out a couple of the, some of the kind of highlights in the letters. Uh, a lot of people worried about it, particularly the power of attorney being in a much more onerous process, said one. One who was actually an attorney, uh, so therefore from the other side, said that when he's been dealing with large financial institutions, they've virtually reduced him to tears, such as being their incompetence and insensitivity towards adults who lack capacity. And this isn't unusual. A lot of people can echo the same thing as that the government seems to be asleep on the job, said one person, addressing this massive time bomb. It's a question that's going to grow and grow and grow, and the responsibility is at the moment borne by the people rather than the government. And Andrew, turning to you, give us some closing remarks. What do you think of uh, the complaints our readers have made? Yeah, understandable. I mean, it is is a is a much growing area. Some care homes now are just specialised, and so you could have a care home that just has, a, you know, is totally full with people with dementia. So really, and the families have gone through the struggles and emotions, and power of attorney, as Hugo said, very often isn't there. That in itself creates problems because if somebody loses capacity, they have to then apply for a court deputyship. There's no power of attorney. So closing comments would be: uh, make sure that your house is in order in terms of getting power of attorney, lasting power of attorney, um, not only obtained but registered as well, so the person that uh, can use it, usually the family member, can actually. Um, be responsible for the finance and property side of the affairs of that person and and so it doesn't get held up for three or four months while they're waiting for a deputyship. And from the financial point of view, uh, yes, most people will be treated as a self-funder. They'll be responsible for paying for their own fees. So please, please think about getting advice. Um, Whilst I represent my own organisation, I'm an advisory board member of Society of Later Life Advisors. So you can go onto the website, Solar or Society of Later Life Advisors and find an accredited advisor near you. Well, thanks very much there to Hugo Greenhouse, FT Wealth Correspondent, and Andrew Dixon-Smith of Eldercare Solutions. You can read the article online now at ft.com slash money, and rest assured we will be following up on the things that you've told us about your own experiences of dealing with dementia. Now, are you an ostrich, an engineer, or a pragmatist? Saving enough to meet our needs in retirement is a tricky equation to balance. Spend more now and you could end up having to work until you drop. But the challenge of saving enough to make up the shortfall is also a tough one. I'm joined in the FT studio by Jason Butler, our money wealth man columnist. Welcome, Jason. So you've encountered these three basic money types in your years as a financial planner. Talk me through these common traits. 
Well, the, the ostrich, as I said, is the sort of person who's in complete denial. They're living for the moment. Uh, they're, they're sort of got uh, strapped up to the, the hilt, as it were, of big mortgages. They're living a life of kind of Riley, some of them. Some of them aren't. Um, but essentially, they think that they're going to be able to get through life spending. They're not really focusing on any sort of aspect of detail planning. They do the bare minimum necessary, and they hope that they're going to go to sleep at 70 and sort of never wake up again in this lovely kind of never need to worry about older age. So they're the ostriches, they're head in the sand. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got the engineers. Now, okay. these people sort of fight the spreadsheet to the ground. These people are really into detail, and every sort of last aspect of the numbers really matter to them. And, and the thing about these people is that they, they obsess so much sometimes about the the actual numbers that they forget to actually kind of live a life and, uh, and and actually enjoy their money. And then you've got what I call the, the pragmatists. Now, pragmatists are people who kind of aren't obsessed about um, the nth degree of their money, but they know they need to do something sensible and, and strike a balance between living today and saving for tomorrow. And what, what they do is that they, they regularly check in and just have a broad understanding of kind of the consequences of spending now versus saving a bit tomorrow. And they got an, a rough idea, not a spuriously accurate idea, but a rough idea of what they should be doing now. OK, and in your column this week, there are some quite scary numbers about how much you would need to save every month to generate an extra £1,000 a year in retirement. If you're a pragmatist looking at this, talk us through it. Well, uh, the numbers are in the article and there's a sort of methodology there, but essentially it's, it's using broad brush assumptions, which I know uh, for the engineer type people out there, they'll probably be, um, they'll have all sorts of issues with those. But essentially, the, the three takeaways are, is that having an understanding of um, the, the cost of delay is very important. So doing something now is better than putting it off. And that makes a massive difference. So, for instance, the difference between uh, saving 20 and 10 years is almost double the amount you actually have to put aside. I think it, um, from memory it goes from £3,000 to £7,200 to save the same £30,000 uh, 30, income. For any ostriches listening out there, how would you encourage them to take the plunge and get to grips with their finances? Well, the first thing is, uh, just to, to say to everyone, it's not all about pain, OK? It's not about um, going without and, and buying the cheapest of everything uh, and so on. Three things you can do. First of all, get an understanding of what you are spending your money on, OK? It's painful. It's not always nice to look at, but sometimes you've just got to look at the truth. Once you've got an idea of what you're spending now, you can then work out kind of how would that change when I'm older? Not necessarily fully retired, but how might that change when perhaps the mortgage is paid off? And then thirdly, you can work out what your gap is. So if, for instance, you need £20,000, use the Ready Reckoner in the article to kind of work back. But, uh, and, and, and just having a sense that if you need to save... £500 a month extra, okay, to achieve that um, retirement goal, then you're going to need to either earn more money or you're going to need to cut expenditure. But there are ways of earning more money that don't require a lot of pain. So you might be able to rent out a room, you might be able to do some part-time work, you might be able to do some writing or some something extra that, that doesn't mean you've got to go without. So I would say to people um, who are ostriches, uh, you don't need to get obsessed about your money, but you do need to check in regularly and have a broad understanding because at the end of the day, whatever you think about the future, all the assumptions you make will all be wrong. But it's better to have a, a rough idea rather than collapse in a heap at the end. Well, thanks very much there to Jason Butler. You can read his column now as you prepare to pull your head out of the sand. Are you an ostrich, engineer or a pragmatist? Online at ft.com slash money. One click, 60 seconds, 90% profit. 
That's how one online broker advertises binary options trading, a high-stakes, high-speed way of trading on short-term market movements. It's possible to make and lose a lot of money very quickly, leading regulators around the world to tighten up the rules. Joining me to discuss is FT reporter Chloe Cornish, who's been exploring the world of online binary trading this week. Welcome, Chloe. So firstly, talk us through the process of making a binary trade. Is it an investment or is it more like gambling? Although a lot of companies actually talk about it like it's an investment, regulators are starting to think that it looks a lot more like gambling. Um, Many people call it binary betting as opposed to binary options trading. The duration of these trades are incredibly short. So you can make a a, a wager that's as short as, as 30 seconds long on the direction of the market. So if you think gold is going to go up, In 30 seconds, you can put a trade on um, and at the end of 30 seconds, if it has gone up, you'll you'll make quite a lot of money. um, But if it hasn't, you can pretty much lose everything that you put on to the stake. And regulators around the world, including the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK, feel this kind of rapid fire trading is too risky for most resale investors. Why is that? Well, in this country, the Financial Conduct Authority has actually said that the speedy nature of this trading can lead to potentially addictive trading behaviours. So not only are people uh, making high-risk trades, they're also very likely to want to do it more and more and more and become hooked uh, on the idea. So some of the people that I've actually spoken to for this article lost everything doing binary trades. They lost their pensions, houses, businesses, a whole lot. Um, And they often say they were advised on how to trade by the companies they were trading with. So not only were they taking these big risks, they were also doing it at the behest of companies that they were trading with. Often people in quite vulnerable situations who were looking to make some extra money and maybe weren't aware of the risks uh, or thought that their trades were insured or that a regulator could come to their aid uh, if things went wrong. And sadly, most of them have found out that there's no way of getting their money back. Um, But as regulators tighten up the scrutiny um, of binary trading, the number of operators is reducing somewhat. Yeah, one of the biggest operators, uh, bank to binary or bonk to binary, uh, is winding down. Um, An announcement came um, that they would not be taking on any new clients and they were uh, advising all their clients to withdraw their funds. We don't actually know how big bank to binary is because it doesn't publish its filings. Um, But it is a company that has uh, dual um, kind of centres of operation. It's based both in Cyprus and in Israel, um, like quite a lot of these operators are. Uh, Recently, it had to pay $11 million uh, to the US regulator after it um, illegally allowed US customers to trade. So US uh, citizens aren't allowed to trade over-the-counter options. They're only allowed to trade on exchanges. But um, Bonk de Binary was found to have um, violated this particular code. Um, One of the advantages for uh, companies like Montabinary is that under EU regulation, they can passport their services or or trade their services across the economic block. So whilst they're based out of Cyprus, they're able to sell their trading, um, their, their trades to customers in the UK or in France or Germany. And that's something that regulators in the UK can't do a lot about at the moment. So even though the Financial Conduct Authority would like to bring binary options under its remit uh, in the coming months, it would not be able to do a lot about companies that were trading out of different areas. 
Well, very interesting. Thanks very much there to Chloe Cornish, FT reporter. You can read her feature in the money section of FT Weekend on sale from Saturday or online at ft.com slash money. That's all from The Money Show this week. If you've got a story you'd like the money team to follow up or a question to pose to our team of financial experts, get in touch. Email us money at ft.com, tweet us at ftmoney or comment on our articles online at ft.com slash money. We will be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.